You know, I had to fly to London, England to unleash the best joke I've ever made in my entire life off the cuff. And fortunately, I remembered the joke, so I can share it with you here on the Pete the Planner Show. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dame. Hello, Kristen. Uh, I was in London over the last couple of weeks, and now I am back, and I am a world traveler. I am more obnoxious than you. Do you remember that time I was in London? It was two weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you all sorts of fun stories from my my journeys uh, across the pond. So, hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Kristen, hola. Hello. Uh, Ward is Kristen was nearly removed from a flight from Charlotte to Austin, <laughs> Texas for abusing flight attendants. Is this true, Kristen? That's almost how it happened. Yeah. Actually, someone on her flight was removed from Charlotte to Austin, Texas for being verbally abusive of those attending the flight. Dame, did you have any travel related uh, stories over the last couple of weeks that you wanted to get out there? No, but I'm just thinking about how amazing it would be if those people listened to the podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, that would be amazing. All right. So we've got, I've got three uh, elements of my, my trip I would love, uh, four that I would like to share uh, with you throughout the show today. Uh, here are the topics. I'm actually going to write them down because I'll forget them because you have all met me. Okay. Uh, one is soccer related. Mm -hmm. okay? okay. One is directions. Mm-hmm. Another one are soccer fans related. And the other one is the greatest joke I've ever told off the cuff in the moment. I, I am so nervous for that. I'm I, so, I got to tell you. <laughs> exactly. I am so nervous. Because like. There's, I, 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 there, there's pressure on us now to react like it's right. the best joke you've ever told. Or okay, to well, not here, react at all because that would be pretty funny. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say I think you think it's. I think you'll think it's funny. And it was delivered to another American. So it's it's not the awkwardness of me being funny to like a server <laughs> at a pub and them staring me down. Do you think both of us will find it funny or just me? I think you'll both like it. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, let's do a little game here. Um, I'm not going to tell the joke yet, but I want to do this. On a scale of one to ten, one being not at all funny and ten being, you know, right? That is pretty darn funny. Kristen, pre-hearing the joke, where do you think you will land? Where do you think you will land? I think I'm going to land right in the middle Fine. because you hyped it up. Oh, no, this is okay. Dane, where will you land? I trust your sense of humor and okay. your delivery is impeccable. Okay. I, I, will go, I will go with an eight. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about the lack of gratuity in, uh, in England. Uh, you, you go to a restaurant. Everything is contactless pay. I didn't pull out a piece of plastic once there. I Apple paid my entire 10-day journey, nice. and there's no gratuity. Now, what happens at a meal is the meal is going well. Everything's fast. Food comes out fast. You don't get a lot of refills necessarily. And then when the meal ends, everything bogs down. Because if you think about incentives for a second, what does the server care if they turn over the table? Like... It is less work mm -hmm. to not turn over the table because if they have a new group yep. of people, they're getting paid the same either way. So um, I love the lack of gratuity, but then I started to see the flaws in it. Hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, the contactless pay, though, life changing. Now, do you think 
that's a hindrance for some people and they might have they might spend more since they just wave a hand and and i did (laughs) (laughs) oh i certainly did yeah see so so if uh, big plus for convenience big potential minus for staying within budget yeah uh so we went over there as part of a, a soccer training trip yeah not only have i written columns about the disasters of youth travel sports I just went to London for 10 yeah. days to a soccer training trip for my 11-year-old son and 14-year-old daughter. But it's it's not – I mean, it is, but it isn't. So it's our our soccer club, right, like our, our group in Carmel, Indiana. So what you've got is 100 travelers from Carmel, Indiana, traveling to London to train soccer for their children. The jokes write themselves. A soccer club, you say. Uh, football club, actually, Carmel <laughs> FC. Football. Um, whatever have... preconceived notions you have about Type A Carmel parents traveling to London and how that would add complexities, you're underestimating it. <laughs> I'm sure Mitzi had a wonderful time. It was, it was something. I, I can't actually tell some of the stories on air, but I got some. I got a. I I've set aside time after we go off the air today to tell you two <laughs> some unbelievable things. Unbelievable to the point of like I I shivered when I was experiencing one of. Them. I was not cold. I was I was physically cringing. Like my body shivered when I experienced something, and I will share it with you off the air. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I'm more excited about that than the joke, really. Okay, I'm telling you the joke now because the joke, <laughs> the joke is so good. I hope All I right. get it. Okay, so on the we know a lot of the parents were on this trip because we've just played their our kids have played soccer with their kids for years, right? Mm-hmm. So you know them, but you don't you don't know them well enough to travel with them for ten days. But you get to know. So one of the the guys on the trip, a really nice guy, is a podiatrist. Okay? Right? Podiatrist. Uh, For those that don't know, that is uh, someone, a a foot doctor, a foot Mm -hmm. specialist. So, you know, one day we we arise. I don't know what you do in London. Maybe you just wake up. And uh, he comes down to breakfast or whatever. And he's got these unbelievable, like, walking shoes. And I'm thinking to myself... Man, this guy, this guy wouldn't know, right? I mean, it's like, what does a barber's haircut look like? It should be good, right? Mm-hmm. What does what shoes does a podiatrist wear? And these things, they look like spaceships. Like they're 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 different looking. They're they're amazing, but at the same time, they're kind of like, are they fashionable? Are they not fashionable? They might be, but it's right on the cusp, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I say to the guy's wife, I said, Tarek's shoes are really fashion forward. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, that was that was really good. Thank like you. <laughs> I was so pleased with myself. Wait a minute. I don't get it. Fascia? Like the fascia or like I can't like parts of your body, like little tendons and whatnot. I don't know. Capillaries. I don't know what they are. Uh, but like, like so, 
plantar so- fasciitis? Have you ever heard of plantar fasciitis? Right? Yes. Fascia? Like a, bot, the, a part of our, like my neck has fascia. I don't know. <laughs> I, my hair used to have fascia. Anyway, I was like, man, those are really fascia forward. And I felt clever. The thin coating of connective tissue. Okay. Did you Google that? Yeah. Okay. I, this is a financial show. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, let's start the show. Text from my accountant. That's fun. Two days before mm. the tax deadline. Oh, so y'all haven't filed yet? <laughs> I get taxes from my accountant. Calm down. Yeah, you do. It's like pick up the kids. <laughs> Their practice ends at four. Yeah. Okay. Let's start the show. Uh, what are we doing? We want to do that uh, inheritance question. Email first. Yes. Yeah. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. We are so glad you are joining us here today. Whether you're listening on WIOU in Kokomo or WTRC in Mishawaka or even down in Bloomington on WGCL or on the podcast, or on our Friday live stream at 10 a.m. Hello, everyone. Damian Dunn, Kristen Alanius, join me. Kristen, hello. Hello. Damian, now say hello to Kristen. Hello, Kristen. Neat. Okay, uh, so we got an email, as is how the show works, because people email us at askpete@petetheplanner.com, and our job is to, to enlighten them with delight. This one says, hello, Pete and co., and for those that listen to the show, the joke there really is, this is Kristen's show that we called Kristen and Co. Longtime listener, first time with enough money to ask about. that. I like it. Now, now as, as this email gets read here, that's interesting. And I'm going to, how many timeouts do I get, Dame, per? Uh, two per segment, one thirty and one full. Okay, I'm going to take a 30 here. Kristen, uh, what, what we want this show to be is that we can we can talk about financial concepts, get a person's brain ready. So then when the right opportunity or the right amount of resources come into their life, they are ready to act and they feel prepared. That's that's why we do the show. The show is not for people with money. It's to prepare, prepare anyone who might come across money. Is that fair? That is fair, yes. Dame? Yes. My grandmother, I'm reading the email. Yes. My grandmother recently passed, leaving me a higher than expected amount, and I'm not too sure where to put it. I am in need of housing and am familiar with home rehabilitation, so I am contemplating buying a house to live in and work on it. However, I do... I'm saying that because the person capitalized those words, you know? Mm -hmm. Do have a fiancé and a a one-and-a-half-year-old and a one-month-year-old year old dame can uh, can you have a one month year old are, are you taking another time out uh yeah that's uh, i'm gonna blow no. them all in the first half <laughs> yeah no i i don't believe you can have a one month year old but we'll chalk it up to somebody being maybe a little nervous composing the first email to us just weighing options and trying to find happy medium so we'll take uh so we're all taken care of but then i heard of some other account adding 14.5 percent is this true Okay. Wow. We are, we, we got a lot to deal with. Uh, they did not leave their name. So I assume that their parents didn't name them. Kristen, what jumps out to you in this email? The thing that jumps out to me in this email is the danger that is being familiar with home rehab or reno 
and having two under two. Okay, so uh, the confidence a person may have in their ability to reno, as the yes. kids call it, which I've never heard until just now, thank God. Really? Uh, what? Reno? Yeah. I've heard of repo. <laughs> Not the same. Reno? Really? Yeah. How much time yes. did you save by saying reno? What? Uh, two syllables? Kristen, uh, you don't sit in a lot of meetings with our uh, vice president of marketing, <laughs> but one of the things he says when he agrees with you is he'll say what, Damien? I don't know. He never agrees with me. He, he's Good point. He says 100%. I this week, that. he started saying 100p. And I thought, you know, <laughs> how much time are you saving by not saying or sent? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dave, what jumps out to you about this email? What jumps out at me is that it's I am in need of housing and familiar with rehabilitation, and I do have a fiance, uh, and I want to build uh, work on this house. Ooh. I'm wondering if there's buy-in from the fiance and the uh, the perspective that's going on. There. Oh, I did not capture that, sir. Yeah, Look the fiance you. the fiance wants a turnkey house. That's yeah. Do you think? Oh, Kristen, do you think this emailer is a lady or do you think this is a man? Ooh, I know I have a gut reaction, but I think it's a guy. I think it's a woman. Ooh, Dame, what do you think? Um, I would go with guy. Really? I wouldn't think a guy would call their grandma a grandmother. Really? Yeah. I'm uh, not the point of this. Okay, here's what sticks out to me. And <laughs> in <clears throat> they heard there's an account adding 14.5%. Is this true? We also know that that is not true, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there is nothing giving you 14.5%. Maybe they meant 4.5%, which they would be getting closer to. But even then, that would be sort of tough. I, I know something getting 4.2, I believe. Um, so here's what, here's, here's why I bring up that 14 and a half percent. If they did mean to put 14 and a half percent, and that is one of the questions within the email, then I, uh, emailer and listener, I think Dane, we got to make sure that we're level set about some maybe financial certainties, or we need to make sure that we're all understanding the dynamics of this situation. Uh, because I, I, I don't, I don't know how any way to say it. That's a novice question. It sounds really rude to say, but if someone's wondering if 14 and a half percent is a real thing, then we're going to need to make sure if we're going to give housing guidance right now, mm -hmm. that we were very specific about down payment, about mm -hmm. the amount that the mortgage needs to equal in relation to the person's take home pay. And I say that with respect, but that's what I sniffed out when I read this email. And there's other considerations. I mean, I mean, if we're if we're going to start from the the basic building blocks of a good financial life, where's what's the emergency fund look like? I and mean, we've got two mm -hmm. kids at home. Assuming that there's only one income, and I don't know why I'm assuming that, but I'm I am. Uh, are are we making sure that we're taking care of everything that needs to be taken care of before we get into a question of of a bigger outlay for uh, for housing? Yeah, because Kristen, doesn't it seem like that the inheritance triggered the move? Yeah, it does. And I don't know really how to conceptualize this, but when I think about 
in an inheritance. I'm going to just talk through it, I guess. When I think about an inheritance, I always like to think of how can it do work that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do, but not necessarily impact my day to day. So like if they weren't in a position to be able to afford the mortgage payment on this house, I don't want the inheritance to provide that opportunity. I want the inheritance to like fund those goals that were just out of reach, like 529 plans or like a big -er wedding, like those kinds of things. Yeah. It, interesting point, right? Because fiance um, would indicate that they would spend some semblance of money on a wedding, but it wasn't yep. brought up, which I'm kind of glad uh, that it's like, oh, I got left a bunch of money. Now we can fund our wedding. That would actually scare me more than anything. <laughs> Are you opposed to having a wedding of your dreams, Pete? Yes. Yeah, I actually am. <laughs> no figure. If you what what does a person look like who feels that way? They look like me. <laughs> they look like me. Um this is fascinating mm. because Dave, you remember when there and then maybe this trend still exists, but I, I'll just say 15, 20 years ago, there was a massive, massive trend of parents gifting mm. down payment money to young adults mm -hmm. for a house and go figure. I was against that because it, it tricks the bank into thinking this is a person who can otherwise handle home ownership. I, I view that pillar of home ownership or that, that I should say that hurdle to home ownership, an important part of the process that if you try to circumvent, you're going to end up hurting yourself. Um, does this instant down payment, or massive inheritance, which just purchases a house, does it also circumvent the prudence of home ownership? Yeah, I, I, I think it could. I think some of those things would be sniffed out on loan application, but I think it so, could absolutely um, circumvent. Yeah, Kristen, I would love to know the credit score here, even though I hate credit scores. Ooh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> all right, that's all we have time for this segment. Coming up after the break, is a breadwinner still a thing? Find out next. I'm Pete the Planner. I accidentally looked down at the time and accidentally caught it with seven seconds to go. That's why I was kind of brief. I was trying to give you a yeah. chance to wrap. <laughs> I, thought you were I thought you were doing that thing that you did to me last time where you asked me a question with like two seconds left. I was like, am I No, but I am going to do that next segment. I forgot awesome. about it. Oh. Jeremiah, we're not taking April off. Sorry, I was, I, was, I, was, I was in Europe with a backpack. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, Dame, uh, one to ten, great joke. You thought it would feel like an eight before hearing the joke. After the after you heard the joke, where do you put it? Um, I got to say, it's kind of a combination. I, I think it's a good eight, but it was a combination of the joke and Kristen's clear miss on it. Yeah. And so it was just, uh, you know, uh, something that was genuinely funny. And then the fact that somebody didn't get it. So. Yeah. So you're, you stick at the eight. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I think it's right where it landed. Kristen, you thought a five, but then you didn't understand what most of us understand about our bodies is that I'm they sorry. contain a degree of fascia. I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of it actually. But. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you, you said a five, where are you now? If I would have gotten it, I would have thought it was funnier, but because I didn't get it. <laughs> so it's a five. Nevertheless. Yeah, I, yeah, I think five strong from Kristen's standpoint, but I'll let her save face and save. Fun. All right. So uh, needless to say, Dame at least knows this. I, I really have come in the last several years, and by several, I mean three, um, to enjoy football, to enjoy soccer. I, I love to watch it. I love to coach it. I, I, I don't know. I, I got bit. 
So one of the things we did over in London is we went to some Premier League soccer matches, which is the uh, short of the World Cup, I would argue, is like the creme de la creme. It's like it is the epitome of the soccer role is watching a Premier League match. And so while I've watched hundreds on TV over the last few years, I've never been to anything like this. Now, I have been to Indy 11 games, which are, uh, you know, uh, professional soccer games uh, in, in a second league here in the United States, but I've never been to this sort of thing. So I go to the West Ham versus Southampton game on Sunday, April 1st, which was Ted's birthday. And so I don't know any of the protocol of these things other than what I've seen on TV. And, and so I'm, uh, uh, I get there where we get there right on time. Cause we had to run from the underground to get there. We just got there. And so we, we get in our row people to stand up and let us in and the game has started and everyone's just locked it. Well, so we came from training, like we, no one in my family had eaten. And I'm like, I got to get some people, some food, like people are melting down. Um, so I'm like, I'm just going to go get us whatever they have in the concession stand. So I, I might get up, you know, and I'm like going back through the aisle. And this one dude, probably second seat in, tatted up, is not happy, is not happy that I'm getting up. And he can already sense my Americanism, right? So I go and get food. And I come back with like four hot dogs, a bunch of drinks, like because I'm just like, I look, I got to feed the people here. And so I get back to the aisle where he and his, his lady have got to stand up and he's at this point, he is mad at me. He hates me and he's looking me in the eye and he's just like about to kill me. And he stands up and his, and his lady standing next to him and he's just eyeballing me. Like, I don't necessarily know what it feels like to be eyeballed right to right prior to murder, but this is what it feels like, I think. And and his lady friend puts her hand on his shoulder, and she goes, "Breathe, br- just breathe, breathe, just breathe." And so I get through, and I sit down. I'm like, "Oh my god, that was nuts." Two days later, we are at touring Tottenham Stadium, which is. The, one of the greatest stadiums ever. So we're touring this and we're going through the stadium tour and the tour guide's like, hey, you have to understand, I'm not going to try to do a British accent. He's like, you need to understand that in England, when you watch a, a football match, there's you don't eat. It's not snack time. You sit there for 45 minutes and you lock in and then when they blow the whistle for halftime, you get up and do whatever you want. So I violated like this thing. And then now that he said that, I'm thinking back to the game. No one else is getting up. No one else is eating. No one else is drinking except this American with four foot long hot dogs, which they were <laughs> like a hundred centimeters. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I almost got killed in a Premier League game because I'm an oh idiot. No. And fortunately that guy's lady was like, breathe. Just breathe. And so now when we try to calm people down in our house, we go, breathe. Just breathe. I could just see you getting out into the, the concourse and be like, man, there's no, no lines one. here. This is great. Hey, literally, no. I can't even. No one was in the concourse. No one. I went up to the concession stand. I was like, yeah, I'll take four dogs, uh, a couple bottles of water. And they were like looking at me like my head had fallen off. But what had actually had happened is I was a dumb American. Excuse me, your Americanism is showing. Whew. 
All right. Next segment. So you're going to get, uh, yeah, just be upset when people like get up from the dinner table or, uh, yeah, just, just try and bring that part of England home with you now. Pretty much. I get, I get mad at everything now. Breathe. Just breathe. Look All at right. people on the sidelines while you're coaching as they stand up to go back to their truck to get a refill, walk back over. Big time. So when our boys and girls played against the local talent because we set up friendlies, mm. <laughs> we got killed. I mean, just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> killed. It was it was fun to watch. I mean, because these kids were nuts. It was like a different sport. Our kids, our kids played hard and they played well. But, dude, <laughs> so same Nate, age, Nate. Uh, same age. How how old of kid American kids do you think those younger kids could have beaten? Oh man, a year or two older, but top talent, right? So so my daughter played. Th- three years up because the team that went so she's my daughter's 14 but she played with 16 and 17 year olds so she was just getting yeah my daughter's decent but uh, for some context here so one of the premier league's club premier league clubs name is bournemouth okay it's a it's a club called bournemouth and each club has an academy where they take eight and nine and ten year olds and they sign them then and then take them all the way through the system, and then they will sell them. Yes, you've got mm-hmm. this right. That's how the clubs make money. They, they sell this talent. So my daughter's team played the U16s, I mean under-16s, Bournemouth. So they played a Premier League women's team, which these players had been signed so they could be sold later, and oh, got killed. And it was great. And it was fun to watch, and there was it was intense. And yet, somehow, U.S. women's soccer still regularly wins the World Cup. More on that in our next break. <laughs> Excellent. All right, let's start in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. If you're listening on WIBC, our flagship station out of Indianapolis, good day. If you're not listening on that particular station, good day. Uh, Dame, you sent an article. Maybe Kristen did. Uh, a little bit earlier today that had mention of the concept of being the primary breadwinner and whether that is an archaic idea, is it realistic? And so what I would love to do over the next couple segments is try to have an honest and fair conversation around the advantages and disadvantages of being a one-income household versus a two-income household. And then how close are those incomes if there is a two-income household, in, in terms of are people splitting, splitting the household income? So, Kristen, you you generally know where to begin on these sorts of things. Where, 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 where do we uh, where do we take a bite off of this apple? I don't know where to take a bite off this apple because the thing that I thought of actually first was some research from one of my classes about how whether you're a female breadwinner in your home or not can actually influence the arguments that happen within your household. Okay. I love this because back when I was actually a financial person, I would notice this amongst the families in which the uh, woman in uh, a heterosexual household would, um, the woman would, if they were making more money, the dynamics of that household were completely different. This is anecdotal. This was my own research. Back in the mid 2000s, I, 
100% agree with with whatever that research suggests. Well, the research, so the paper was titled, Does She Think It Matters Who Makes More? Uh, Perceived Differences in Types of Relationship Arguments Among Female Breadwinners and Non-Breadwinners. And it goes on to discuss that um, when women earned more, they were more argumentative about household chores, couple, couple relationship, and communication. And then women who earned less reported arguments about more more arguments around time and scheduling. You know, I, what I did anyone else pick up on the loaded word of argumentative? If, if, if a woman brings up something that doesn't seem fair, is that an argument or is it just pointing out truth? It's just truth. First of all, right. That seems like a really loaded (laughs) phrase. And later in their summary, that also does not sit right with me. It says women who earned more were more likely to be critical of seemingly hostile toward and less likely to look for a mutual resolution to arguments. And I just think that that language is no good. Dame, do you know the name of the men that did this study? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just wondering what, what academic journal published this. Cause I'd love to get a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so uh, I, l- let's start with this concept of single income households versus double income households. Um, you know, d- earlier in our Slack channel, we were just talking about what, so what are some of the advantages and disadvantages. And, and Dame, to some degree, if your household total income is dependent on two incomes, there is a degree of risk of that. If if one person loses their job, you lose half your income. Uh, that's not reason enough to to not have this structure, but that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think there's a, a risk that kind of goes uh, unacknowledged in a lot of cases because you, you see these dollars rolling in and you're hopefully being able to uh, achieve goals faster, more rapid pace than you might have otherwise. But if you're living like most normal folks do, you're probably stretching things out and maybe spending a little bit more, having some lifestyle inflation here and there. And if you lose one of those incomes or somebody has to take a a reduction in work hours and and drops their pay a little bit, things get tight really, really fast. And everybody's still working potentially and you're not making the same money and you're forced to deal with this potentially overinflated lifestyle that you've built on two incomes and now you've only got one. Kristen, why is this inherently a complicated and dicey and risky conversation? Why? Because I think by nature, we're anxious and vulnerable when it comes to personal finances. And then when someone brings up these potential dynamics, that it makes you, I don't think that we naturally want to take a step back and think that, hey, maybe like right there, I was ready to like tell Damien he was wrong, right? Because I was feeling defensive. Please do. It makes for better radio. Well, I just think that's the nature of the topic is just because it's so emotionally charged, we don't always like look with that lens of is Damien being empathetic? Is this, is he trying to be unbiased? Like I, you take it a little more personally. Uh, So my theory on this, and this is, I haven't thought about this in a while, but here's my theory on this is based on how you were raised and socialized that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you're swimming upstream against how you were brought up. So in my household, 
my dad was f- far and away the primary breadwinner. At times my mom worked, at times she didn't. And so that's what I saw. And so whatever my reality is now, I have to rectify against that um, because that was normal to me. So that doesn't make me right or wrong. It doesn't mean one is you know, one of the situation is right or wrong. It just means that after 18 years of watching that, that I have to come to terms with that. Dame, does that resonate? Yeah, I, my parents uh, got divorced when I was in elementary school. And so I grew up seeing both of my parents work, but maintaining two separate households. And so it came across as not unusual at all to see uh, both men and women going out and earning a living. And I, I remember clearly, I, I, I got married to Mrs. Advice uh, you know, uh, 20 years ago, almost now. And when she started her career, at uh, a big four accounting firm and she was identified as somebody who could potentially be on a, a partner track. Uh, the partner that she was talking to, or I, I guess they weren't quite yet a partner was shocked to learn that I supported her chasing her career and, and was going to, uh, you know, maybe make concessions in my career to, to help her get to get to that level if that's what she wanted to attain. So I know this is a, a tough conversation for some people to have and some people have it on um you know you know moral grounds or well they'll claim we're moral grounds or just family dynamic grounds uh, but this is something that everyday uh, individuals have to find a way to deal with and, and come to terms with because just because you see it one way doesn't mean the person that you care very deeply about sees it the exact same way thoughts Kristen. Well, can we go back to the risk of one versus two income households? Please do. I don't see it that way. I see it as if you have a two income household and you lose one income, you've maintained some level of base. If I lose my job, I'm at zero. So I don't, I don't personally see it that way. I think the same risk still exists. I could be living an inflated lifestyle as a single income household. I could be eating up all of that margin as a single income household. But if I were financially dependent on a partner then, and they lost their income. We still have 40, the article said like 40 to 60%. There's still something there. That's a good point. I mean, it's just, that, that is an interesting point, right? Um, Cause to the same point, if, if I lose my job, right. right. Is, is, is I, if the board of your money line removes me as CEO, <laughs> which look, they talk about daily. Um, <laughs> My house, my income has no household. Uh, my household knows income, right? Like, so it's the same. It's the same level, but it's actually probably more risk than if right. our income was divided, right? Especially because there's other people dependent on your income. Like, I mean, my dogs, they would be upset, but they'll be fine. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna keep exploring this topic uh, uh, in the next segment. And one thing I want to explore, and it's something that I think about and related to my situation, is uh, because I'm the only one that contribute to a retirement plan at work. If we had the exact same household income, but it was divided amongst my wife and I, like if she was generating income as well, we could put twice the amount into our retirement plan than we can now. And I think that's important. I think that's significant. We'll touch on that. We'll also touch on, is the concept of breadwinner so archaic that it's offensive, right? So we'll talk about that next. Right, Kristen? Right. Thank you. Right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. (laughs) <laughs> I liked Jason's comment. It made me laugh while Dame was talking. 
<laughs> husband. I I often say I go to events with my wife just to be her arm candy. Good for no. you. Um. All right. So we're on a bus in the countryside of England. You're looking out on the fields and you're seeing sheep and moon jacks. That's right. Moon jacks. Do you know what a moon jack is? Yeah, they're delicious. No, you've never had a moon jack. <laughs> a moon jack looks like a goat and a deer went to dinner together and it went well. Like they, you know what I mean? How do you spell moon jack? <laughs> Kristen, you like that one. That was good. M-U-N-T-J-A-C. Moon jack. It looks like a goat and a deer. Okay. Got into some heavy petting or something. I don't know. Uh, that was a little graphic. Yeah. You see, it's like a jackalope looking thing. Have you ever seen such a thing? Native to South Asia and Southeast Asia. Are you sure you were in England? 100%. <laughs> they just got on a plane. They don't know. They were there. Okay. I'm not kidding. Uh, anyway, I think it's called the Reeves Munt Jack specifically, but no one cares. No, no one cares. Okay. Anyway, so we're driving, we're in the middle of nowhere and we're trying to go to the soccer facility to train in the middle of nowhere. Cause that seemed like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And our, our bus driver and his age doesn't matter, but I it was probably if you added a couple of our ages together, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> he pulls over the coach. And, and by the way, there was a lot of confusion around the coach because the bus is called a coach and we had coaches on the bus, but they're called managers. And there was someone managing the trip also called the manager. And so there was a lot of confusion. Who's on first, the coach pulls over and the manager, not our coaches, but the manager of the trip says to the driver, Oh, why, why are you pulling over? Right. Cause she was this <laughs> lovely woman who was oh, a former uh, Bobby, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. She was a former police officer for 30 years. Now, why are you pulling over? And, and he goes, I'm trying to figure out where to go. And and then and and then she goes, Well, are you lost? And he goes, I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean, we're in the back of the the button, the coach, and just going, I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am. <laughs> and so that has become like the greatest. It was so it was, it was like his Liverpool accent. It was love. I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am. I bet that I bet that poor man said that a dozen times in his life, at least. Oh my gosh, he sounded like a Beatles lyric. It was so good, so good. All right, um, a lot of fish and chips. A lot of fish and chips. Yeah, a lot of fish and chips. Okay, next they, thing. They come with newspaper. Um, no, not where I was. No, not where I was. Here we go. M32. Do we even know where, where are we going to start back with this thing? Where, where, where do we want to go with it? You gave like five things you wanted to talk about. Well, then pick one. Dame, you bring us back. There. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'll bring us back. I'll go right to you, Dame. You've got it. You've, you've got to hit your handle on this. Yeah. And three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. We call this the Damien Don segment of the show. He's identified several things of how to cover the dynamics of breadwinner. Is being a breadwinner a thing anymore? Do the dynamics of gender change that? Is it better to have one income or two? 
what what happens when uh, in households based on those ideas. So that's what we're talking about right now. Damien, take it away. Pete, you brought up something really interesting at the end of last segment that I'm not sure I ever thought of uh, that I would love to get your and Kristen's opinion on is the concept of breadwinner, I think you said uh, offensive uh, at this point. Is that, is that what you said? Yeah, you've never considered that. No, no um, because it, it, I, I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to listen because I, I am not sure that I, I, I am tracking on this. All right. Well, maybe the best place to, to go is with Kristen here, and then I will <laughs> jump in. Kristen, uh, I don't. So, Dame, let me ask the question, then you tell me if it's a fair way to ask it, because I want to make sure we're okay. capturing what you want. Kristen, okay. um, I think my question, don't answer it, is can you conceive of the idea that the concept of breadwinner could be offensive? And then maybe the second part of the question is is it offensive? Dame, is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with that. Chris? I think that it can be offensive. And I think that most of the time, oh, that's tough. Most of the time, people maybe when they say that don't realize. I feel that it discounts the work that the non-breadwinner might have to do, whether that's like if let's say that you have like the like traditional, I'm using air quotes, household, you have one income earner and then the other does everything else, the grocery shopping, the cleaning, picking up the kids, et cetera, calling the breadwinner that I feel like just dismisses all of the other work and the emotional labor that that other partner does. So I think it can be offensive depending on who's saying it. You know, I, I agree with how Kristen said it. Uh, Jordan in our live stream on Facebook live noted, it can be weaponized for sure. And I think for me, it's it's, breadwinner being a compound word. It's the word winner. It's like, why is one person a winner and the other is a keeper? You know, like I, I, that, that, that feels like it could be weaponized. I'll just say this. Um, I am the only breadwinner of my home, if you want to go that direction. And when Mrs. Planner was down with the flu or COVID or whatever we get these days, and I was in charge of literally everything for like 10 days, I, I, I was the loser. I was, the, <laughs> I was, it was awful. <laughs> I was doing both roles poorly. Uh, as opposed to just one roll poorly, which I typically do, which is win bread. And uh, so, yeah, Dame, I, I, I do think breadwinner can be offensive, but I also understand people's perspective who are like, man, you're just really overthinking it. It feels a little cancel culture-ish. Yeah, I think that's still where I'm at. I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I guess I can understand. I, I understand Kristen's uh, sentiment and and how that can be a, a very horrible situation for for somebody to put in and that's i don't think that necessarily has any any bearing on the term that i use for that i think if you're just being a jerk about it you're being a jerk about it regardless of of what what phrase you're going to use for that but i i don't know i just i I am i am uh, influenced by experiences i've had when i was a financial advisor i mean there were times when i felt like the amount of money a person brought into their house equated to votes as yeah, it related to exactly. decisions. Mm-hmm. And so it was more the act of that dame versus yeah. the words, which is offensive. Um, you get into allowances, you get into 
well, I deserve this because I make more. I'm, I, I think that's where the, the rubber hits the road in this conversation is, you know, does the amount of money you earn equal or equate to, maybe it's a better way to say it, equate to you being able to spend a higher percentage of discretionary money? So, Kristen, how, how do you get your head around that? I think that if you're having those conversations in your household, then you don't have to worry about being, you know, if Dame, if Dame is using that word or someone, I shouldn't say Damien, cause then we'll get emails. If someone is using that term and they are saying that in a way that I, I personally feel is like a little malicious. I mean, if I've had that conversation in my household or if like in your situation, Pete, like if you and Mrs. Planner have had that conversation and you're comfortable with your household roles and dynamic, then does it really matter what I think or what Dame thinks or what anybody else thinks? Like if it works for you. Yeah. I, I guess I don't care about the word. I care about the actions that are behind it, Pete. I just, as you said, your experiences have been, um, you know, colored by, by, uh, your relationships you had through fi financial advising. And I, I've had some of the same uh, to some extent, but I you know look at the personal relationships outside of the professional world into the personal world as well. And I don't care what word you use, just, be a good person, be a, a great partner, great spouse, and figure it out. If you're being a jerk, put some word to it, maybe some more colorful than breadwinner. Yeah, I think about the days I sort of, from a financial planning perspective in my early days, was trained via the lens of life insurance, right? I started working for a life insurance company, that version of financial planning, and that evolved. But anyway, I remember going out in joint appointments with, with older, uh, more experienced, seasoned hard ridden life insurance salesman. Um, and man, the words were also loaded. <laughs> they were also loaded as they'd sit down at a kitchen table. And, you know, oftentimes we would come against a, a one income household and then to talk about insuring the non breadwinner or mm -hmm. the homekeeper. And man, it, it honestly, like it was, it was gross at the time in the year 2000, mm -hmm. 23 years later. Have you watched like a, an old, like eighties or early nineties sitcom or something? And you, you watch and you're like, there is no way you could get away with saying that today. Oh, yeah. There is no way. Even like always sunny in Philadelphia. If, mm -hmm. if you watch the, the first episodes of that show, um, which was like 20 years ago or whatever, no way you could get away with that. And I, I agree with that same sentiment from a financial planning standpoint of there are ways we we used to talk about money in in these households that are are admittedly gross now. I can only imagine some of those conversations when you're talking in a, a one income household and trying to make that that pitch. Uh, and, and it's it's a very reasonable argument that you need to have life insurance on the stay at home parent some of the things that were probably said in the way they were phrased and uh, just really minimizing the, that individual and their efforts, uh, you know, putting value to them, but still saying, well, you got to have somebody to do this. You know, while I'm not dismissive of hurt feelings here and I, but I don't want that to be the point. I think the biggest challenge here is if there's a relationship separation and it's a male centric financial plan, and then you've got, uh, in the, in the, in this conversation today, you've got the other partner just left on their own. I mean, that's how I think when you talk about women's financial planning and women's retirement planning, it all comes from this 
misogynistic's a little strong, but 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 gender specific financial planning method. Kristen, is there any is there any truth to that? Yeah, and I think that to summarize that is that I love zone defense, like in household tasks and responsibilities, but you can zone defense too hard. And I don't think that personal finance can be one of those areas that just one person has control over. Well, that's I mean, that's a whole other segment. That's super interesting. I, I, there was a, a study a couple of years ago I read, I think it was in the Times, that just said that the percentage of household work that men think they do versus what their female <laughs> partners think they do are so different. And I, I like I read this and I was feeling very, you know, uh, up on these things. I went home to Mrs. Planner and was like, yeah, this article because I'm like this percent. And she was just like, uh, no. enjoy the couch, pal. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> Would say well, I fluff the pillows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I know that was my 10% of my contribution. <laughs> okay. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and current events. It's been two weeks since we've done current events, so I don't know how current they'll be, but they will be here right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. All right, my final story from London. I, I'm going to share it today. Not that anyone cares about any of this stuff. Is the coolest part of our trip, the best part of our trip. Other than this weird one, I saw my roommate from my freshman year in college at the Tower of London what? randomly, randomly standing right next to him, right next to him. So weird. So weird. The strangest thing is this is when Mrs. Planner and I met is that time of, of my life. And so she knew him too. And he, he left after the first semester and went to Purdue after that. But like, it was so weird. Hmm. so weird here's the best part of the trip Damien you brought up the US women's national team which mm-hmm. I'm a massive fan and I love to watch all of their matches so we went to something called the finalissima over in uh, London and it was England's women's national team versus Brazil in this big game called mm-hmm. the finalissima which I, I'm still struggling to understand other than a because you call it that it's that because it's you know it's just a made up thing in preparation for the women's world cup later this year and so we went to that that match at Wembley Stadium one of the largest stadiums in the Mm -hmm. world Uh, it holds 90,000 people and there were over 83,000 people there to watch this women's soccer game it was the coolest sports moment of my life it was unbelievable it was an iconic stadium Wembley Stadium iconic right and uh it was also cool as the father of a daughter to see 83,000 people super excited about women's soccer mm-hmm. like it was just it was amazing and my story sort of peters out here other than to say I could show you some video and pictures of this thing but but what ends up happening is uh, no one cares about this man I'm so glad I'm sharing it England <laughs> dominates England dominates the first half goes up 1-0 Brazil sort of dominates the second half. Five minutes left in regulation. Brazil scores, gets what's called the equalizer. So it's 1-1. And because this finalissima is a made-up game of which they're just like, hey, we need to have a winner. Instead of going to extra time, which you typically do, two 15-minute periods and extra time, so you play 30 more minutes of soccer, they did what are called PKs, which are penalty kicks. So they each get five chances to, to score on the goalie from what's called the spot. Okay, so it's... PKs are like the most exciting thing in soccer and that's how the game ends and it happens right in front of us 
England wins in PKs. And so again, for the for the football people listening, unbelievable. For those that don't give a rip, <laughs> believe me, it was so amazing. Man, how hard were you blowing on those Vuvuzelas? You know, there was no Vuvuzelas, Vuvuzelas, but my kids, uh, Ted, of course, has like an England scarf, you know, with like the three lions on. And he's like, England! And I'm like, you turncoat. Like, we won the Revolutionary War. Um, anyway. Uh, all right. Oh, hey, look who it look is, everybody. Jogo. Hey, 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 hey. Speaking of excellence, hi, Jogo. Good to see you there on the live stream. All right. Um, let's do Biggest Waste of Money of the Week and that whole thing. Okay. I cannot wait to tell you. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> I can't. I could not possibly do it on here for a thousand reasons, but you're going you're gonna to die. I can't wait. You might die. The show might be just me next week because it's unbelievable. <laughs> okay. Here we go. In uh, three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is Patrick's BW1 body wash. Patrick's BW1 body wash. Dirt, sweat, and anything else that might find its way onto your skin can I, I'm going to use my timeout here in the, the, the fourth segment. Okay. Go on. What a weird piece of copy that is. I, a little bit. That was yeah. not a great lead. I'm, yeah. Dirt, sweat, and anything else that might find its way onto your skin. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I should be grossed out, but it's so obscure. Well, like, what does that even mean? All right. It's no matter. It's body wash using a formula packed with multivitamins and anti-inflammatories and antioxidants, BW1 body wash helps to stimulate collagen production and mm -hmm. gently remove impurities from your skin to keep breakouts at bay and keeping natural moisture intact. As if that isn't enough. I'm not sure it is. Uh, <laughs> it also has a masculine smell led by bergamot, cognac, what? and amber for a subtle, refreshing fragrance. Okay. Kristen, this is body wash. I yes. don't know if you've ever been to a hotel uh, that has a whole canister that's slapped to the wall that you just keep pumping away at all the body wash the body can desire, depending on whatever finds its way onto your skin. But what do you believe that 200 milliliters, which isn't I, a lot. I don't know how big that is. <laughs> what, you haven't been to London recently? 200 milliliters is going to be like 6.8 ounces. Okay. 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 I think that's right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see if the boy's right. Culture. 6.76. Wow. What's that? Okay. This is body wash. I mean, this is basically like Axe body wash. What do you think it costs? For it six costs. Points? Yeah. What do you think? It costs $47. Okay. Damon? I was going to say 42 you guys, this is the greatest moment in the show's history. It's $45. <laughs> yeah, but Price is Right rules, I lost. What? I mean, you, that's unbelievable, you two. Excellent. Thank you. It would be double that if it was a product for women because it said collagen in it. Um, have you guys ever smelled someone that their, their skin, for some reason, takes on the smell of soap better and it lingers? Yes. 
Like all I ever want to do is smell like the guy that really holds on to Irish spring well. And I walk into a room and people's nose get flooded with Irish spring. But I, I'm not like something about my skin can't hang on to the soap smell. But other people, they walk in and it's like, that's one soapy mamma jamma. How does that happen? Does it have to do with like, the oils in your skin or something? I have no idea. I have no I, clue. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Kristen, do you know what we're talking about? Or Damon and I, are, are we like crazy? No, I know what you're talking about because the one of the products I use is coconut and vanilla and it smells so good and you just like can't, it, it's gone. Like I don't smell it anymore. Like I'll put on a few sprays of cologne and it still can barely make it past my shirt collar where other people, I'll see them give one spray and they're putting it off all day. I don't get it. Is it the heat your body puts off? No, I'm, I'm very exothermic. So I, it's, that's not it. <laughs> wow. You know who I bet smells like soap? In a good way, Stephen. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, he wears capris. Dame, what's in the news this week? When was the last time you purchased something and you weren't asked for a tip? Not in London recently. Not you know, I was just in London, and <laughs> are you finished? Yeah, he's mm -hmm. drinking. Uh, not only are the requests to, uh, to tip on purchased goods and services increasingly common, but the amount of the traditional tip has also been on the rise for decades. During the 50s, people commonly tipped 10% of the bill. By the 70s and 80s, that had jumped to 15% in 2023. People typically tip anywhere from 15 to 25%. Consumers on average said they tipped more than 21%, according to creditcards.com survey, in May of 2022, uh, what we're seeing is a nationwide tipflation experience. At every opportunity, we're being presented with a tablet asking us how much we'd like to tip, said etiquette expert Thomas Farley. The coronavirus pandemic put more upward pressure on tipping. During the height of those days, consumers started tipping for those things they had never had before to service industry workers. In February of 2020, just before the pandemic began, food and drink specifically, the share of remote transactions when tipping uh, was offered was 43.4%, according to Square. In February of 2023, that share was 74.5%. Yeah. Meanwhile, if people were willing to give the person delivering food to their home a 30% tip for service, why not ask for if they'd like to tip when they come to pick it up? Restaurants started doing this more often, and that practice hasn't ebbed. Kristen has asking for tips gone too far. Yes, it has. <sighs> and that's, so I'm a good, I'm, I am a, I'm a good tipper, but oh. there are some things that I will not. I tip, but I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where, like, I have some hot takes. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. No, I uh, carry out. I will absolutely tip on carry out, but it's going to be like five bucks. Like, I, if I order a hundred dollars worth of food, I'm not, I'm not tipping twenty dollars. No one did anything. They, they package the food and hand it to you. If they're coming back and forth to my table, I'll give you twenty, twenty-five percent because you have to talk to me. Um, <laughs> I read a an, an article the other day that that like uh, DoorDash drivers are so upset when they get shorted on the, the they'll, they'll park outside restaurants that are like super expensive that are like 200, $300 orders and then get mad if they don't get like a 50 to $70 tip. And they'll be like, it's unfair. And it's like, 
There is nothing unfair about that. If I order a steak versus a side of coleslaw, you're not involved with that at all. And so I'm like, that drives me nuts is the, in- oh boy. <laughs> oh gosh, why am I doing this? But like the idea that it, uh, I, like, yes, you should uh, absolutely tip your DoorDash driver. Absolutely. But what I order has anything, like what is in the bag that theoretically is the same weight affects how much I pay you makes no sense. You're not even involved with the restaurant. It makes no sense. It's like uh, FedEx charging more for more valuable things in a package versus less valuable things in a package, no matter how much it weighs. It makes no sense. Oh my gosh. I need a drink. Ooh, what else wow. Is in the news. Game? <laughs> <laughs> why, do, why do I even care? I don't care, by the way. I, just, I, just, I got all heated. The idea came to Johnny Taylor Jr. early last year after one of his employees made a case that her technology position could be done anywhere. She wanted to leave Virginia, where she had been, uh, where she had held a job at a Society for Human Resource Management, a professional association based in Alexandria, and she wanted to work remotely in North Carolina. "Quote." Then a light bulb went off," said Mr. Taylor. Instead of having the employee work in another state, he outsourced her job to India where his organization is saving around 40% in labor costs. Welcome to the next wave of remote work, kids. During the pandemic, millions of Americans worked from home and many decamped to cities like Boise, Austin, and Phoenix. Companies learned that employees could be productive from afar thanks to remote working tech like Zoom and Dropbox. Now companies are responding to lingering labor shortages and rising wages by sending jobs overseas. There's more, but we're going to have to wrap. I did not see that coming. I yeah. did not. <laughs> uh, 7.3% of U.S. senior managers surveyed uh, are going to start moving jobs abroad because of remote work. I believe. I, I will say this. We have an offshore worker uh, that mm-hmm. we all work with, and, and we love him, and he's great. And that wasn't because we tried to do things cheaper. It's because in that particular area of what of what we needed done, the labor market was so hard that was our only option. We pay him the equivalent wages of what we pay people here, <laughs> you know? And so there's that aspect because of how highly skilled he is. But then, oh my gosh, I, I never considered. It's like, okay, fine. Uh, remote's the way to go. Remote. This is remote. Yeah. Oh my. All right. Hey, that's all we got time for. Sending good vibes. Good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. That's Kristen. That's Dame. We'll see you next week. See you next week. I mean, when is this a Dick Cavett show? It's a new streak. Tired. I got a head cold. It's it's from London, London, England. (laughs) A little fog. Travel. I'll tell you this: when I was there, I dropped some pounds. Mm. And by pounds, I mean money. I did lose a pound uh, uh, weight. Really. Couple kilos, yeah. I think that's very admirable to be on vacation for that long and actually come back lighter. We were on the. We were doing like thirteen to seventeen thousand steps a day, dude. Yeah. Oh, it was intense. All right, can we go off the air so I can tell you this horrendous story? Please. Hey, it's good to be back with all of you. I missed you. Um, but all I got for you right now is stay getting money. <laughs>